we're going to go straight out to Eileen. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And one of the best gifts of age is the growing urge many of us feel to focus on the deeper aspects of our lives. And on that note, I am excited to introduce our guest today, Augustine Fuentes. Augustine is a renowned Notre Dame anthropologist, a professor, and an active public scientist and lecturer. He's also a highly sought-after blogger for several well-known publications, including Psychology Today and the Huffington Post, and he is a writer and explorer for National Geographic. This guy is busy, (laughs) but we are lucky to have Augustine join us today to share all about his important and thought-provoking book, why we believe, and um, believe me, uh, this topic is fascinating. So I can't wait to get started. Welcome, Augustine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. Well, I know you've been having a lot of conversations because a lot of people are really interested in this book. And, of course, I want to get into uh, some of the topics in greater depth. But I thought we'd start off by maybe asking you a little bit about your personal life and interests and how all of this came, how you came to believe in and want to find out more about the human condition and some of our belief systems, etc., well, so my whole life, I've been since I was a little kid, I've been really interested in what makes people tick, right? Well, why do people do what they do? And part of that is because I've lived in many places, many countries. I speak a couple languages. And being exposed to people around the planet, I, I noticed right away that, wow, people are really different and yet really fundamentally the same. How does that work? So that's what set me up. And then I went to college, and I studied animals, and I studied people. I got degrees in zoology and anthropology. And then over the years, I've just become more and more interested in not just what do people do right now, but what do we do in the past that set us up, that made us able, that gave us the capacities to do what we do right now? And so I like to tell people my field work is over the last two million years of human history, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I really enjoy it. Well, and you do get into some of those early, early beginnings of life of, of, of humans. Uh, but one of the things I thought was, was very interesting, I think we'd better start here, only 14,000 years ago, because <laughs> millions of years, we're not going to have time to cover that. But you do kind of suggest that uh, the capacity for belief uh, really lies in human evolution and some of the tra- uh, social changes that have taken past in the 14,000 years. Uh, and mm-hmm. some of these elements of community, identity, and inequality. So you take it yeah. from here, Augustine. So let's just say over the last two million years, humans have evolved the capacity to really imagine new things, to look at the world, right, to see what's out there, to imagine something totally new, and then to try to make that new thing a reality. So that, that's, let's just, that's a given. We have good evidence for that. We know how that works in neurobiologies and bodies. But between 10 and 15,000 years ago, things start to really change for humanity, right? We start seeing other animals and start bringing them into our households, right? We start manipulating this whole process of domestication. We start breeding corn and tomatoes and apples and changing the way fruits and plants work and making them better for us. So we started shifting that. Then some groups of humans started settling down. We started building towns. We started storing things. We started having different sort of roles and divisions. All of that set the stage for the kind of patterns that are normal and standard for humans today, inequality, wealth, poverty, um, structured societies, economies, politics, even religions. So 
the way we live today has some pretty recent, for me recent, for most people, 14,000 years is a long time, but for me, <laughs> these structures set us up, right, so that we now always think with and about, we're always enmeshed in systems of complex inequality, of living with different kinds of foods and patterns and belief systems. So we grow up in that, and we need to understand that for when we ask, why is it that people from different places in the world see the world in different ways? Well, they see the world in different ways because they're growing up in particular structures that are different, and that's really important because that shapes the way our brain works. And that is, I mean, that we are just touch, touching on the very fascinating aspects that you'll find in this book. Uh, and speaking of structural, you know, elements that as we are growing up, I'd like you to give us a, a short definition, not a 14,000-year definition, but of what is actually culture and how does that affect our belief systems? So what's really incredible, people always think that there's sort of biology, right, which is nature, and culture, which is nurture, and that, that we sort of lay culture on top of biology. Well, that's simply not true, right? Culture is everything that we do. It's our language. It's our beliefs. It's our religions. It's our economies. It's what we eat. It's how we dress. It's how we move. So it's this big sort of dynamic thing that we're always in. The psychologist Michael Tomasello has a great way of saying it. He says, a fish is born expecting water. Right, and a human is born expecting culture. Our body is predisposed to sort of pick up and acquire all that stuff that is the people we grow up with, right? And so that actually shapes our brains. It shapes the way our bodies respond to temperature, to sounds, and it shapes the way we perceive and see the world. So culture and nature, right, are actually all mixed up in humans. And so that's really important because that shapes this capacity that we have and fills it with particular beliefs. So when we grow up in different cultures, we actually see the world in different ways in some ways, and we believe different things. Well, another thing that you talk about in the book, and it's fascinating to me, is a lot of beliefs uh, in, in humans have to do with the larger, you know, the, the greater beyond, what we can't see here, mm -hmm. whatever. So what is your definition? It's an easy question, of course, but what is it of yeah. transcendence? So transcendence is this capacity, right, to look at the world around you and to know that there is more and to have that be part of your life. So for humans everywhere, whether they believe in or participate in a particular faith tradition or not, we all have this sense that this stuff, the table in front of you, this mug of coffee, the daily grind of your life, that's not everything. There is more to being human, stuff that we can't touch or sense but something that we feel and that we know is there. And I think that's really important. And understanding that helps us understand not just religions, right, but it helps us understand a lot of how we are in the world. It helps us understand why there's so much division now in beliefs uh, and what people believe politically and economically in the United States. All of those things are tied together. Well, and, and another thing is you, you mentioned several times, I mean, the biology of, you know, human existence, of course, but the human mind, it enables us to believe, and you write about that in the book, and of course, that part of it just on the surface seems obvious, but there's more to it than that. So how does the mind actually support, say, varying beliefs or why we believe or some of these aspects of our, of our belief system? So this is stuff that I just love and I find just fascinating. So I have a lot of colleagues who do this incredible work on neurobiology, right, sort of the brain. And, and people think of the brain as this thing just inside your head. But in fact, the brain is your whole body, right? So there is the brain, but it's connected yeah. to everything. And what is amazing is that we are born with our brain only 40% developed. 60% of our brain growth happens after we're born. That's way more than in almost any other animal. 
And in that time period, sort of the, the, as the brain is growing, all the neurons, all those connections, those connections are shaped by your experience. So they're connected differently depending on what you hear, what you taste, what you see. So our culture, that's what I mean, it really shapes us. So all humans have some similar capacities in the brain, but the details that fill those in are different. One thing that's really important about our brain, our, our mind, our neurobiology, is that humans have this incredible capacity for what the technical term is called detachmental representation. I like just to say daydreaming or imagination, right? We have this amazing ability to go offline and just like have flights of fancy, things that we've never experienced, never heard of. We can come up with all sorts of stuff. But then that influences the way we see the world, and it gives us hope, and it makes us when we collaborate with each other and uh, face insurmountable barriers, it helps us to imagine possibilities that aren't there, to believe of them, and try to make them reality. And that has led to incredible success for our species. Amazing. I knew this was going to be a fascinating conversation. Amazing. <laughs> now, you also make a difference, and this, again, on the surface might seem a little obvious, but I'd like to explore it a little bit more. But the difference between the word, the word religion and the word religious. So what is your yeah. take on those two words? So this is such an important difference, and I, and I wish more people paid attention to this. And I hopefully if they read the book, uh, will either just be angry with me or, or get what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> So here's something that's really challenging, right? So humanity, right? Humans, our line, our lineage is, is, is over 2 million years old. We're, humans are quite old. But everything that we consider a religion today, sort of the institution, the standard contemporary religions, those are all very young. Those are very new. So humans are very old. Religion, as we know it today, is very young. H how do we explain that? The way we explain that is the human capacity to be religious is actually quite old. It's hundreds of thousands years old. This ability to look at the world around us, to know that there's more than the here and now, and to, to sort of feel that that more than the here and now is relevant to your daily life, that is probably very old. But then we can look at the, like you said, the last 14,000 years, but here the last four to 8,000 years, and we can see the histories of the contemporary religions, right? Uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, uh, Hinduism, and many of the others. We can see how those develop as institutions and histories. And so we need to divide, when we talk about religion and religious conflict, we need to divide out the individual's experience of transcendence of faith and the institutions that we call religion, because those two overlap, but they're not the same thing. Wow, I wish you were on the world stage talking to all the leaders right now. <laughs> Maybe God, get us out of some of the mess we're in. And uh, you go into they probably the book, wouldn't let me close to them now. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have time to get into all the just really <laughs> fascinating topics in this book, uh, economic forces and all, but I am a, a gal, so I want to get into love and belief. So tell us a little bit about <laughs> love and belief in one minute or less. <laughs> So one of the most amazing things about this story is that humans are adapted for love, right? I mean, throughout human history, compassion, bonding, getting together, working together, and caring so much about another is, is characteristic of our species deep in time, more so than any other species. That has predisposed us to be able to bond, to care beyond just our biology or our biological can, beyond just romance uh, or beyond sex, but to really make these incredible commitments to one another that we call love and to believe in them and to make them a central part of our communities. That is something that's undeniable from our, our record and from our contemporary landscapes. And I think that's great. That's really hopeful. 
Well, and again, I don't want to end on the negative, but you do towards the end of the book write about some of the say less less positive, okay, negative forces right. that are involved in belief. So, what are some of those things that are going on? You know, that we need to be aware well, of. Think about think about the world right now. Where are our biggest problems? Conflicts between religions, conflicts of race and racism, inequality, conflicts about climate change, and 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 here in the United States, these incredible political divisions. All of that is deeply rooted in belief. No matter what facts we put on the table, facts don't change people's minds. What changes are belief systems. And so until we recognize that these are conflicts of belief and we need to sit back and reflect on why we believe these things and maybe challenge ourselves a little bit, we're not going to go anywhere. So belief is a wonderful thing that has allowed us to sort of dominate the planet, uh, but it's also a horrible thing that's allowing us to destroy the planet. Um, and so I remain cautiously optimistic, um, but, but I do recognize that we have a lot of problems. Well, I think one of the things that you provide us with is a framework for understanding some of those problems, you know, an idea system, a belief system <laughs> that where we can understand <laughs> why we believe. And I just have to thank you, Augustine. This is this is wonderful. I, I would like to end, uh, if you've got any final thoughts, how would you, what do you hope your readers can take away from this amazing book? I really hope the readers enjoy this book, but I also hope that it enables them, it gives them a toolkit to reflect on what they believe, why they believe, and to do good with that, to do good in the world, reflect, use that incredible brain we have to do something good. We have the capacity. We're able to do it. Let's all get together and make the world a better place. Well, I love that. We're going to end on that high note and hope we can turn these <laughs> these current issues on their ear and get going on something good. Thank you, Augustine. This has been a real delight for me and eye-opening, I might add. Thank you so much. I've really appreciated the chat. Okay, well, I want to let our listeners know, too, please check out Why We Believe. <clears throat> it's a read that's going to get you to thinking, uh, maybe believing in new directions, but certainly open your eyes as to what, what our, you know, the human condition is and ways that we can improve it. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.